वेलकम टू सिंह टॉक सिंह टॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टूडे डिस्कस द वेज ऑफ नोइंग द कोर इम्पल्स इज टू अंडरस्टैंड हाउ वी नो वॉट वी नो will delve into perspectives from philosophy history media studies potentially neuroscience and politics how has the conception of knowing and knowledge changed over the years and what is the future likely to be and is knowing and sources of knowing one of the key sources of conflict We are pleased and privileged to have three Sint Talkers around the table today. Dr. Amit Basole, who teaches economics at University of Massachusetts in Boston. Professor Dhruv Raina, who is a historian and philosopher of science from JNU in Delhi. And Dr. N. Bhaskar Rao. was an applied social scientist and the founder chairman of Center for Media Studies in Delhi Dhruv maybe we set the ball rolling with you um to understand how you understand knowing and the process of knowing and what is the historical context in which one can best understand it yeah okay i think uh, uh simply put at one level uh knowing is i mean is a process also is a process which amongst its many outcomes yeah is to produce knowledge knowing oh sure of course uh, all right it it is so now an important question philosophers would ask themselves is uh, what is the distinction between knowledge and belief yeah we have beliefs about many things but not all our beliefs count as knowledge, knowledge of course right yeah so in an elementary class in the philosophy of science then you would talk about knowledge as justified true belief belief justified true belief yeah yeah all right now uh what we do encounter in our everyday lives in society is that there are different kinds of of knowledge yeah and uh, so our starting point would be that there's also something one might call f- following mario bunge one might call common knowledge okay and common knowledge is what we all start from it's everybody's you know it's acquired Uh, and again so when I, you say common knowledge you mean common knowledge not common beliefs no i'm talking about common knowledge knowledge yeah, okay all right but okay. i'm talking about common beliefs because uh, i mean uh, different kinds of communities located at different in different institutional embedded in different institutional structures have different ways of justifying those right that knowledge right 
So what we could say is that what we consider to be this big thing called science, whether and I don't mean science in the anglophone sense of the word science, but yeah. science as any kind of systematic, systematic knowledge uh, across the world, this big thing we call science, that all sciences have started out of common knowledge yeah, and then have outgrown common knowledge. Right. So there's a process then of formalization of an abstraction right. which leads up to this. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, what has happened is given the way societies are stratified, structured, and systems of different kinds of knowledge themselves undergo differentiation. In today's world, we tend to see this knowledge in a hierarchy. Yeah. You know, yeah. And we can see these knowledge hierarchies operating not just between science and common knowledge, but within the sciences themselves. Right. For a long time, almost till, uh, I mean, and Amit will, uh, will certainly agree with what I'm saying, that up till the early 1980s, uh-huh. you know, in the world of sciences, it was theoretical physics, which was at the top of at the, the top, pyramid. Yeah. And the biological sciences were lower down. And then right at the bottom, there was something called geology. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, uh, if you go to my department in my university, I teach yeah. my students in the social sciences that I said, you know, that's the way the scientists used, used to think. But the social scientists also thinks like this. The economists think they are the physicists of the of the social sciences. Physics envy. Yeah, and <laughs> and the historians are, are you know right at the bottom of the of of the ladder. Right, 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 right. So, right. yeah, I mean, um, so not only does it operate vis-a-vis common knowledge and science, but it operates also within the sciences. And I mean, but through but, what is common knowledge? All right, I mean, uh, all right. I think common knowledge is something which is acquired by a group or a community through engagement with the world. It's their phenomenological experience. It's linked their, to experience. Yeah, it's deeply linked with experience. Uh-huh. And it's not based on the same level of theorizing right. which the sciences are based on. But at one level, I think... Uh, there would be some process of abstraction if you go back, say, to the history of economic thought. We do know now mm-hmm. that what we call the notion of value right, right, basically right. is an abstraction coming out of exchange where some people say, agree, arrive at an agreement that 100 apples are worth one goat. Yeah, yeah. All right? Yeah. And over there we begin to see in material exchange, the material exchange of material goods. Yeah. Yeah. The notion of value abstract. Now, at that time, that itself would have been common knowledge, which acquires another definition subsequently when economics aspires to become a science. Yeah. And is this process of abstraction, and maybe Amit, we jump to you, uh, what is abstraction? And is it is it just an emergent property out of experience? How, how coterminous is knowledge with experience? And uh, is there... How systematized is it, or does does it just emerge out of uh, the daily intersubjective experience that one goes through? Well, you know, this is, uh, I mean, this is a very interesting uh, issue, and I think it goes also back to the hierarchy point that I yeah. was talking about in the beginning. Um, and coming from a social science background, I'm naturally more drawn to that aspect than, let's say, theorizing about what it is about abstraction. Uh-huh. Maybe Dhruv will actually come back to this point, but I want to note here that... Um, 
we've somewhere made a hierarchy uh-huh. over degree of abstraction also right and this is where physics and we comes from the more right uh universal you can ca- claim to be the less specific you can claim to be right uh, or the more abstract you can claim to be uh the knowledge is more authoritative right right uh, right and that's something that i see myself very much against in in a political way okay. so this is not something i just observe right. but i feel compelled to say this is not right. right and maybe over the course of the hour you know we'll sure. unpack sure. this a little bit more sure. but so the perspective that i come from is uh, there's a lot of common knowledge and the word that i've been using is lok vidya for that and i think lok most, vidya, most yes, people of, of indian languages would understand what that means people's yeah. knowledge yeah uh and this knowledge is as dhruv said produced in practice you know in ordinary life in work yeah. and in fact is the origin of science too and you know there's a lot of good work now on how yeah. um artisanal knowledge and so on gets formalized later in science yeah. but the interesting thing is why does it then dissociate why does it then become a why does theory kind of leave practice behind is it a process of leaving it behind well so it's a curious phenomenon so in in the 19th century for example a lot of theory follows practice yeah so nowadays we are used to thinking of technology as something that is an application of science yeah but in fact in the history of science and dhruv will probably agree with me theory comes afterwards i mean yeah it's yeah. technology is always at the cutting edge of right. what we know right it's later that it gets formalized um and but somehow we are we've become used to think of it the other way and it's uh-huh. exactly the same with lokvidya and science right right science is born out of lokvidya Uh-huh. But uh-huh. now we think of common knowledge and so on as a degraded form of science. But you again it's I mean? that distinction between empirical kind of knowledge which obviously is linked to the concept of experience and what one experiences in purely abstract theoretical knowledge. And uh Bhaskar maybe we jump to you and we'll we'll open a few strands and see how we tie them up later uh from a media studies standpoint. How do we know anything we know? How do we know that something happened 100 years back? How do we know something happened 500 years back? How do we know something happened last evening? And what is that process of uh, common knowledge, a common belief as we've used some of those terms in with with sharp distinction between them? How does that happen from your standpoint? And what role has media played or does it play in uh, what are the layers well, around that? How do we come to know of anything? Yeah. which means the sources and the means sources and the means yeah and which also means as an applied uh, social scientist i look at it more what difference these sources or means made okay what impact or what implications they have uh, they were uh, responsible so the medium is medium is important medium is important right. in that sense right for understanding the structure and the character of the knowledge itself okay the outcome okay should one way of looking at the, the acquiring a perspective of knowledge right 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 so which also means the message that passes through uh-huh the medium uh-huh and the control of it right who who exercises exercises the control right. on these means or ways of communicating or ways of passing on information from one generation to another generation or from one section to another section or one time to another time right so right th- this is how i look at it in this process of course the relativity uh-huh relative context 
yes yes is another way of looking at the knowledge mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in the absence of scientific measurement mm-hmm. per se at every given time point mm-hmm. or a period the relativity mm-hmm. is right what determines the intensity or prevalence of that knowledge of, in of general of that knowledge so i mean the, let, 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 let just to say that in the time of the world war let's say the second world war if there was internet available at that point in time how would what we know about the world war have been different i mean obviously let's let's what absolutely yeah. absolutely that's what uh, so the context the relative t yeah yeah and the medium yeah yeah we yeah. need to look at them in 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 a more cohesive or integrated way mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than in in uh, in isolated way to but understand but do you do you subscribe to that dictum that the medium is the message does well, that's what mcluhan mcluhan said marshall mcluhan as uh, when he said that uh, there were a lot of criticism but nevertheless that if you look back and what is happening right now in india yeah. or anywhere uh, in any country any part of the world that's what it is right right the medium is the message right. more or less right so, right Uh, right prophetic prophetic very prophetic he did that uh, <laughs> some 40 years back correct. in canada correct 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 no excellent excellent i'd like Say, to take yeah, up two points which uh, please, which uh, which uh, amit ah, raised it's the, because i think they are the interesting points and i'd like to tie up with what bhaskar had also has, has been saying you know the first point he basically says i mean he asks and it was also related either to your question or yeah, yours, sure. whether abstraction itself is an emergent property yes that's one and the second question is the important question of theory and practice yeah. and over here i think there's a point of intersection with media with with, with, the, with media now coming to the first point you know in the old days we were tuned to thinking about abstraction itself as well a process of the social differentiation of labor itself the as societies grow and the the social organization of of labor within society becomes more and more complex right. with that growth itself with that evolution itself there is a difference there is an evolution in uh, the there's a transformation of consciousness itself and okay. this we can begin to see in the emergence of What does that mean? What does yeah, that mean? Right. You make a Marxist is, kind of point in some way. Yeah, it is a Marxist kind of point in some way, but you know, I mean, I know it's not fashionable to make Marxist points. No, no, not at all. There. No, 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 <laughs> no. But the point is that when it comes to the, and here I'm speaking specifically from the history of mathematics, okay. because the history of mathematics is one area uh-huh. where the Marxists have had to work the hardest. <laughs> They've had to work the hardest because. Uh, mathematics and mathematical knowledge is seen as a transcendent entity which has nothing to do with the real world right so, you know there's one view the plan that's the platonic view that's the platonic view yeah. yeah and so they've had to they've had to work much harder to embed mathematics in in, in social norms in, in, in social norms yeah now i mean if you were to take the history of mathematics itself All right uh-huh. now history of mathematics has only very recently over the past 30 to 40 years engaged with something you call ethnomathematics yeah 
right in the work of people like Ubiritan, Dambrosio and others. They engage with something called... And when you look at uh, uh, ethnomathematics, at one level, whether you're talking about Mozambique, you're talking about Ghana, you're talking about this, the column in, in, in Chennai or, right, in, or right. in different parts. Yeah, so there are notions of geometry, but those notions of geometry are not the same as that of algebraic geometry or of some other, or so Poincaré's notion of geometry. Yeah. So what is the distance that separates them? At one level, I would like to see that difference as a product of a cognitive differentiation produced through social differentiation within societies. Right, but Dhruva, I think the important, interesting question is, is it possible to know without having the knowledge of knowing? Um, Pardon me? Yeah, okay. So You know what I mean. No, you no, know no, what no. I mean. okay. So, to know without having the knowledge of knowing. No, tacit no, knowledge no, in no, some no, way. Yeah, without, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, um, you go back to the history of mathematics and when does mathematics itself typically become a separate, yeah, yeah, become a separate discipline. Yeah, when does mathematics become yeah. mathematics? So, and this, yeah. this is something which begins in China, in India, in different parts of the world, in about from the 14th, 15th century onwards, where mathematicians begin to produce mathematics for other mathematicians. Right. Right. All right. It's not just now applied mathematics. You know, now you've reached a stage of development. You, you know, the discipline has gone to a point where now they are only talking to each other. Right. They are right. writing papers for each other. He, I mean, Amit will understand me, and I'll understand Bhaskar, and I'll understand. <laughs> you. you know, and you know, I mean, and then they're working on problems which, at one level, do not have anything to do with problems in the real world, apparently. Right. All right. right. Right, but go ahead. Can, can I? So yeah, this please. is a very interesting point, and you know what this reminds me of. Uh, since Marxism has already come up, right? The distinction between the social division of labor and the technical division of labor, for example. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. At what point does a horizontal social division of labor, yeah, which is really kind of an equals relationship, you do weaving and I do pottery. Right. I don't claim that pottery is more important than weaving. There's no hierarchy between a pottery no and weaving. Yeah. That's yeah. the scenario. And there could be that in an intellectual sense also, if right. let's say physics and we didn't exist. Right. right. Uh, we all do legitimate things in our own different way. Right. From there, right. we go to a different place. Uh-huh. And we go to it very early. I mean, this is not a recent phenomenon. You know, we know, for example, from our own history, that the caste sort of hierarchy is also a knowledge hierarchy. Right. right. And, and Kanjailaya has written very interestingly about this recently. Uh, right. Sort of looking at the Dalit Bahujan knowledge universe. Right. And saying, right. this is the knowledge that was uh, denigrated uh-huh. while it is the knowledge of productive life. Right. And what you've instead valorized is knowledge that is not particularly useful to anybody, <laughs> but happens to be highly self-reflective. And, you know, I'd like to push this point about self-reflexivity also. What is it about self-reflexivity that we would privilege it. Why should it be privileged? In the anthropological studies of artisans, you often find this point that artisans don't talk about what they know. It's very difficult to get them to say anything. Right. Many ethnographers say, complain that we just, it's impossible to get them to talk about their knowledge and that's because they're not used to talking about it. Right. It's performative largely. Right. And we are used to thinking about that. It's sort a, so of, it's embodied knowledge it's embodied in some way. It's embodied and tacit knowledge in many ways. In, that doesn't mean it can't be communicated. Yeah. Obviously, it's taught all the time. Yeah. It's taught in a different way. Right? It's taught via praxis. It's taught via praxis. Yeah. So it's embedded in that practice. It's very yeah. much uh, tied to doing certain things. Yeah. And again, that's all fine. That's a description. Uh-huh. At some uh-huh. point, that becomes an inferior way of knowing. 
to go back to our title for today right and right. the question you need to ask is why is it inferior what about it makes it inferior so why is abstraction critical because it's possible for there to be knowledge in an abstract kind of form without not too many people knowing about it why yeah. does it happen why All does right. it happen through you know, i'm sorry i'm going back to maths every time i don't want maths no, no, to please, become go ahead. <laughs> i don't want maths to become the the it's a, the, but it's a know, reference but that's a core of yeah, knowledge yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a yeah. reference so, yeah. the core of you know for example i mean we do know now that in the 14th century there are some notions of calculus in the work of the kerala school of mathematics yes yeah notions of differentiation and integration yeah. but that notion of differentiation and integration at in one sense was restricted to a particular geometrical form namely the curve the curve because, all right uh, the circle the circle okay. because that was the geometrical form they worked with Yeah but if you look at and over here I don't wish to get into the controversy but if you look at the emergence of calculus in the west yeah Leibniz Newton and others Newton and others they were working with a generalized curve yeah so yeah. right so calculus is develops then for a curve a i j x j yeah all right Cup, so, yeah. you know whether it's an ellipse or a parabola or it's a generalized hyperbola, it's, yeah it's generalized and that's yeah. a product of a certain kind of abstraction which comes into mathematics yeah 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 so there there's that side of it too so i mean i mean uh, you know i would agree with that but then again i would push to no no i you see know, your yeah. point about the hierarchies where they come in i mean we know yeah i mean how do they come in also has to do then as to the way the social division of labor and the unequal distribution of power occurs within this kind of thing i mean coming back to your question of knowledge and practice that's where it is if you went back to the work of edgar zilsel who wrote a wonderful book on the social origins of modern science uh-huh. i mean it's an old again it's an old old thesis that what we call the scientific revolution in the west arises at the conjuncture of the coming together of theoretical knowledge and practical knowledge coming together uh, yeah of the artisanal of the lens maker of the instrument maker and in a way galileo was also a theoretician he was of course yeah, all right of okay course. so it's the coming together the scientific revolution is a product of the of the coming together of these that's interesting the, that's interesting of these two traditions mm. and then this mm. is then often used to explain and it was done much before zilsel in india at the end of the 19th century by pramathnath bose and binoy kumar sarkar and others who says that in india you didn't have a scientific revolution because the caste system prevented that commingling from happening yeah. that's interesting that's very interesting bhaskar maybe But yeah please in this process <clears throat> what amit and Drew has said, the it, the knowledge becoming common denominator. Yeah. The point here is what time it took. Yeah. To become a common denominator, scientific knowledge. When does knowledge become common knowledge? Become a common knowledge is the yeah. point that he started yeah. with the yeah. discussion. Yeah. What is that 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 lag time lag yeah. that it involves how does that diffusion happen how that diffusion happens yeah. is a very important aspect yeah. that one need to understand yeah and who sponsors or who promotes yeah that process yeah is yeah. one other angle that one need to look at yes it. how interested or disinterested is it yes. because because mm. there are always when such a knowledge is there there are antagonistic uh, viewpoints as well as uh, the interest in any society uh-huh. anywhere in the world right. that you find right right against right. the knowledge yeah 
before yeah. it gets become a common denominator yeah 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 sure 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 and so let me ask you this i mean how how and it's in, in a way it's addressed to all of you how do we know that this sun is in the middle of the solar system how do we know that the sun is in the middle of the solar system how is it possible to know that i mean how, how do we go as humanity from a state where we kind of think of earth is in the middle of the solar system or don't think of it at all to it potentially going to a state where we think of it as common knowledge yeah so they they come to and another feature about science yeah this other feature about science is that in a way a lot of scientific knowledge is what we consider scientific knowledge is counterintuitive yes all right a lot of what we consider to be science or the That's domain beautiful. of explanation yeah. and that in a way also derives i i would say no i would argue the other way it's because we arrive at this that we develop a philosophical position you might call uh-huh. realism which a large number of scientists uh, subscribe to, to yeah. although i think most indian scientists or quite a few of them would be more like positivists than realists because the theory <laughs> uh, no no i'm not uh, ridiculing anyone but a theory is good enough if it makes good good uh, good predictions but realism right. would go would go beyond that all right 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 uh, because right. realism would finally say that there is a deep structure out there what you see is not what it is there's something below the structure which is governing what happens on, on the structure all right but I, how I does how does verification work how does one verify i mean from the time that someone proposed it it must have been a conjecture uh, yeah i know see i mean where do these very if you want to call it verificatory practices come from why did yeah. you why did you finally push the earth out of the center yes i mean <laughs> I, how I did that it. happen clearly so it wasn't straight forward no, yeah i mean see it, that has a very long history in the sure, history of science sure, but very sure. simply put was that your calculations were becoming unwieldy because you were creating more and more geometrical forms introducing them in order to get to keep earth in the center uh, yeah to keep the earth in the center was becoming <laughs> mathematically unwieldy unwieldy one right you right. needed some 80 odd motions to to model the motions of six or seven planets you you didn't even know anything beyond right that's very interesting uh, yeah that's very so interesting that's uh, that's one part of it but then the second part of it was there were other things you were noticing and people were noticing even while uh-huh uh-huh you know even while uh, all this was going the on the transition was happening yeah mm-hmm. so there were other experiments which were being done whose explanation was counterintuitive yeah yeah all right so yeah. it's not that there's just the, there's this one it's, it's not a versus b, b yeah there so was that yeah there's yeah. a coming together of many factors many experiments yeah which go to make sense not yeah. just about one phenomenon but about a range Explains of phenomena right. a range of phenomenon that uh, that but it's it, it's possible for there to be a get here kind of problem isn't there where everyone believes in something but kind of believes it in yeah, for the wrong reason yeah that's what the history of science is about in a way right you believe yeah. you believe one thing for what you think are i would say common reason and not common knowledge because i don't wish to at any point underplay common knowledge versus this because common knowledge is you know in a way uh, a lot of science also becomes common knowledge at 
at another point of time number two i think that there's a new engagement even within the science with what is called common knowledge mm-hmm. in the debate on what is called indigenous science today there's a recognition that well given the crisis of crises of contemporary civilization science is not going to be enough right right you know, right or, or is even the problem in many cases yeah, possible right right okay so well if you're talking about climate change then you have to talk to the inuit indians and find out the the different taxonomies a farmer uh, finding a water yeah, yeah. or taxonomies yeah. of snow yeah. is yeah. one other example of and, that and yeah. this has become big in development now you yeah. probably know you know indigenous knowledge and traditional knowledge is the world bank is all about it so yeah the world time, bank you, you too <laughs> which is sad because that's mainstreaming it and you will lose that uh, <laughs> course that is the whole point of yeah. okay. uh, but you know i do want to go back to the sun and earth because just yes. for a minute uh, it reminds me of this funny um anecdote in, in one of the sherlock holmes stories where you know sorry for the local reference but hopefully no, no, go ahead. Uh, you know watson is shocked to hear that sherlock holmes doesn't know that the earth moves around the sun uh-huh and he can't get over it he's like what does that mean you are this you know this smart guy and i've looked up and now you're telling me you don't know this and, and, and he said but why should i need to know it right i mean what about me changes or my life changes by me knowing it so i mean i think the, i don't know why conan doyle put this in but to me right. it sort of suggests it's interesting that's interesting know, what what do we need to know and why do we make certain things the m- meter of being what knowledgeable what is worth logic. knowing what is worth knowing what is worth and why knowing why does it have to be the same for everybody see, right see right. i don't know what what medicine to take when my tummy aches right but my grandmother did right that right. actually is a lot more serious loss of knowledge right. than me knowing that the earth goes around the sun and humbly her believing the other so that's way very around. interesting so master experience let's uh, it's not just experience insights from the experience it's well it's what knowledge is disappear right and yeah, and why do, if everybody doesn't know how to medicate themselves yeah that's a much more serious loss of knowledge than whether the earth or the sun is becoming yeah. dependent on drugs yeah. and knowing that the earth is round and goes around the sun yeah you know yeah. other yeah. other possible disappearance of i mean what i think it was elul who said called to call it the disappearance of agriculture as a form of life itself right within it's, the it's next it's become industrialized and yeah so you know the next maybe 40 to 50 years we will perhaps lose all the agricultural knowledge which farmers have been banks of for the last 5 millennia you right know, we, we may just lose all of that's it that's why the special right. efforts are being made to preserve all that knowledge right from yeah. grandmothers from uh, farmers of Basker uh, let me ask yes, you this yes. and you know we'll go back to this previous question of what is worth knowing and you know media obviously has a role to play in agenda setting and what they decide uh, comes in the papers and comes in the screens and comes in the website how does that process of agenda setting work how how do you well i think is that completely reflexive does it just have to do with demand for a certain kind of thing and how much of that is well wish uh, it is uh, more demand driven yeah but unfortunately based on studies by us and many others in different parts of the world uh-huh. today it is all uh, if i put it in a very simplistic way profit driven okay okay uh, okay it is not need based it scatters more to the greed mhm of the people but who are these people what what people i mean where where does the control lie i mean whose purpose does a process like that serve well that's exactly the i mean if it boils down to 
one way of simplistic way to put it is consumerism recycling or pushing consumeristic economy uh-huh. Uh-huh. is the bottom line the processes there are several steps involved in that uh, of the agenda setting why do they set if you really analyze the contents of the media which yeah. are media you take today yeah yeah it boils down to <clears throat> of uh, certain uh, selfish interests of certain groups who would like to control interesting interesting the sources amit, the information amit, sure amit would you say that the internet is selfish well the internet is really probably the most interesting thing it's a very interesting when phenomenon when it comes to knowledge yeah, yeah. and the sociology of knowledge yeah. because i mean i agree with a lot of what basker was saying in terms of the political economy of media and recently yeah. i saw an interesting graphic you know every once in a while you get those graphics that show yeah. you the control of yeah. indian media yeah. and it rests with very few uh, corporations yeah. if you follow it all the way up yeah. similarly for many other countries so it's clear that the media space as far is, as is internet as decentered as one visualizes it to, to be think it is and i don't really know the answer to that i mean i do think sure, that it sure. is a big change uh uh-huh, uh-huh. it is certainly flatter or has flattened knowledge hierarchies much more and actually a case in point is probably traditional indigenous knowledge again right i think a lot of this rise in this discourse uh uh-huh. coincides quite nicely with the coming of the information tech you know sort of revolution right uh, right a lot of things changed in this uh, 1970s 80s and 90s that m- brought us to this point of the internet and a kind of almost commonplace thinking now that um indigenous people or farmers have knowledge that is of value and that and was not commonplace like 25 I years think, ago i think i mean i may be wrong yeah, but i yeah. think it was in during modernization theory certainly yeah, sort of, not yeah. during the reign of modernization theory yeah. but when the critique of modernization theory began to emerge in right. the 1970s right. then people began to talk of knowledge as genetic material and you know right and right, so, right 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 so, and went to right. the kind of knowledge of yeah, people through, who through what is internet to you what I mean, See you know how it, does one analyze it epistemologically in epistemologically I don't know but you know I <laughs> I I'd like to go back to um uh, Amit's uh, question about yeah you know I mean I can I can well understand his ambivalence about how you would look at how you would look at uh, something like internet yeah is just that we are used to thinking you know I mean at least one kind of way of thinking about technology has always been what some call the kind of use abuse model use abuse model yeah okay that yeah. The, that a technology is neutral it has no will of its own but it you does know, doesn't it uh, yeah that you know if you're a good guy no no that's the other view sure of course we we'll, we could call this view the social determinist <laughs> view yeah all right yeah so if you're a good guy you would put it to good ends and if you're a bad guy you would put it it's to a bad ends it's a double edged uh, yeah. uh, that's one uh, one view it's a general purpose tool yeah it so it's one view it's it's neutral sure the other view comes from the critics of technology who think that you know technology has a certain logic which is driving us into the brave new world yeah all right and i think that is also an oversimplification of technology since it denies you any social agency whatsoever yeah all right but i think one needs a framework within within which you recognize as you do you know you can create a system of education with a certain goal in mind but what you would produce in the end would be something else altogether 
that there are these huge detours because Correct. you are and all kinds the, of things emerge yeah and yeah. you know and i think the same thing has happened with technology that many people control it and yet if you look at the number of uh, groups out there whether they are struggling over open access or they're struggling over i mean all kinds of issues yeah, i mean uh, those who control are not entirely in control and in that sense it has had a democratizing influence on the circulation of knowledge itself right and over there maybe one should subscribe at least to some weak version of the thesis that knowledge when it circulates also empowers you know right right well right. but i would say it's gone further now in, in a sense it has become an arbiter of what's knowledge too I and mean, again go back to t- traditional indigenous knowledge there's this big effort on for example for digital databases yeah right and there's controversy over the um, us data. patents being issued for things like neem and so on yeah one of the interesting yeah. defense of the us patent officers who did this was well we didn't know yeah Yeah, so <laughs> so how do we know but we put it up on the internet now yeah, what yeah. that basically turns up, you know ends up meaning is if it's not on the internet it's not really there it, it it's not exist. It's, it's not it knowledge it's not known right so right. that's an it has that settling thing too yeah. right uh, yeah. so selectivity yes is another aspect uh, uh, that i would like to add to our myth that the internet has brought in lot of uh, discrimination uh, capabilities or skills in people Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. what is uh, what uh, dhruva has been saying uh, what is to be taken or what not to be taken discriminating uh, what is relevant or what is not relevant. but there is a filter bubble almost isn't there where what i find on internet for the same thing and what you find on internet for the same thing is different because of yeah that's what the democratizing proce- uh, process that it implies yeah but there's an element of personalizing what you know and what someone else decides you know yeah you know i mean this is something uh, colleagues of mine and i have been have been talking about that is there do we need another technology for reading the internet yeah all right yeah i mean that there have been various various sources of information yeah and that uh, there have been various uh, uh medias yeah. for reading yeah all right and yeah. so I don't want to take the view that you know once upon a time we used tablets and one should s- go stick back to, to that, those those tablets the Mesopotamian tablets and then we used <laughs> the papyrus and you know each of them came with uh, with certain disempowering and at the same time uh, create I mean creating new opportunities for new groups I can imagine with the coming of printing it certainly disempowered the teacher Yes. All right. I yes. mean if I was in a medieval university teaching Aristotle you'd be there's worried. One, there's <laughs> one copy of Aristotle and that is with me. And then yeah. and then yeah. printing technology comes and the student takes the book home and he says the teacher doesn't understand Aristotle. <laughs> you know, I mean it produces skepticism. Right. 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 So I right. mean now with the kind of relativization of knowledge which we now see. Yeah. Maybe we also need a, a new set of spectacles. to read digital technologies and to read what they have to offer us maybe you know i mean how do you read what you see on the internet what do you consider to be reliable what are the criteria for reliability maybe so what uh, is reliable knowledge and where does this collective intuition come from um what is reliable knowledge well i think reliable knowledge would be re- 
knowledge which is subjected to you know i don't want to get into this popperian sure, sure. point of view verification versus no i don't want sure, to get sure, into that sure, debate sure, at all. Sure. but which has been subjected to some processes agreed upon within a community you know there used to be a debate in the in in the 1970s that you know ayurvedic drugs cannot be put to uh double blind tests epistemology yeah. is different yeah. to which my argument would be but surely there's a method of validating a drug within the ayurvedic system so more itself. a question of measurement uh, or the tools to yeah. tools so, to so every system has within it its own norms of filtering out this is valid and this is not valid right right all right, right. otherwise it is not a knowledge system yeah yeah like this is exactly where the friction between say lokvidya and science lies right that you you've come to the point of granting that there's knowledge out there uh-huh. now for that last final step please let us just do the tests yeah and then we will grant you that you knew something yeah yeah right? yeah so yeah. so the, the arbiter is still the sort arbiter still has to be because otherwise we don't all our ways ways of thinking about what is really reliable knowledge right. come from this perspective yeah exactly right. so we're not willing to seed the values system that determines what is legitimate what is not so the ways of verifying to, the ways of i mean the, the, sure you know, sure because there's too much that is too much control i think yeah. uh, so it boils down to control yeah i think the yeah, who controls like to retain the control yeah. of uh, who yeah. holds the uh, access yes uh, yes is the one uh, which determines the the process and uh, the contents and uh, the impact part of uh, any knowledge and that again goes back to profit because if you wanted to put it in a bottle uh-huh. or a tube and sell it uh-huh. you would have to do a lot of the things that you know that involves isolating the active compound and so on without the active compound you, you're not be going to be able to just grow the plant and sell it right? so there's a logic of economics here that works uh, as well well right. i think <coughs> i want to add uh, to what amit said uh, to the earlier point as well as this one if you really look at uh, the control part i was uh, referring to 40 years ago there were more organizations involved in spreading or diffusing the knowledge yeah yeah in in terms of media and there's a consolidation of sources yes consolidation yeah. is bringing down today there are 15 organizations control 85% of the news in india yeah yeah and it's the same elsewhere as well well elsewhere too Yeah. Now, 150 people control the news today against about 50 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> what goes into the India? Yeah. And that is yeah. going to the number of organizations that are going to control the 90% of the news and uh, space in the media is going to be seven or six organizations. Right. Right. In, in the next 10 years. Right. 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 So that explains the control point of uh-huh. the knowledge. Uh-huh. or common knowledge that he was talking about it because what com- gets into the media is the mostly the common knowledge but is that a purely economic process or there is there is it's a viability process economic process uh-huh. the uh-huh. profit is more to manufacturing uh, you know the agenda as you were as you were asking earlier who sets the agenda who sets the agenda yeah. uh, what and uh, whose interest yeah. to cater to whose interest is the point there yeah Yeah. So that is what dictates this process of uh, consolidation or amalgamation, uh, whatever you. But can it manifest itself in some more sinister ways? Is it possible to have well, manufactured consent? If it is more of the same, 
uh-huh. you know whether it is internet or uh, tv or whether the which or media you take if all of them are on the same agenda yeah yeah by and large it becomes manufactured consent in some way that's what it becomes so that's and what is it is it possible for sciences to well, to earlier, have manufactured see, consent no, in some way no i don't way? know about manufactured consent but you know i mean if you see some of the debates in the sociology of science after the publication of the book in 1994 called the new production of knowledge uh-huh. um, what we begin what is being argued is that we've entered a new mode of knowledge production and within the old mode of knowledge production which was discipline based yeah and in which uh, you were working within certain social and epistemic norms of science yeah in which yeah. you were looking solutions to problems which were more global yeah in yeah. Uh, i mean or looking for more global solutions to problems within the theoretical framework of disciplines right 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 and now we seem to have, i mean what is being argued is that following the genetics nano and information technology revolutions we seem to have entered a new phase where accountability now is no longer to your community or to your discipline yeah. but to your client yeah and your the solutions then are local so has who's a client i mean whoever whoever, whoever, whoever you could be the to. state it could be uh, you know anybody it could be a consumer it could be the state it could yes. be yeah. sure right. Right. Sure. it's a very important sure. uh, point uh, that he so, has uh, yeah. no it's not that the previous mode has disappeared no, yeah it's there but i think that the transition the mode, maybe no no the other mode is is coming to occupy a dominant place yeah right which is why from the 19 late 1970s people were already smelling uh-huh. something they called the commoditization of science so yeah. in a way the yes. process i mean this is exactly also the double edged sword <laughs> that lokudya also faces right what you see is that the integration of traditional and uh, indigenous knowledge is largely market based yeah, yeah. See, because yeah. the command has moved from science to a more market friendly <laughs> version market, of its science light or whatever you want to call it homogenizing homogenization because that creates the market that yes. creates that gets the volume but it creates an opportunity see because as long as that sci- that old science is in command it has absolute there is boom. no room for anything else it yeah. is the arbiter of all knowledge now there is room because once you've said it has to turn a buck it doesn't matter what knowledge it is and this is what you see in the organization of economies too right yeah. there's all this money in crafts there's all this money in artisanal goods and everywhere yeah. as long as it can turn a buck I don't care what knowledge bases you are using. I'm not asking you to modernize your factory or to change your practice or whatever it is. Yeah. It has yeah. a market itself. Yeah. It has legitimate. Yeah. Uh, it's legitimized yeah. that practice. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's a kind of opening. But that's exactly the trick is there. The legitimizing process how it has become legitimized. What means it has become legitimized? That is the that is a that's a question here that's a dilemma sells, here if it sells it's it's no how it sells it doesn't sell by itself no. it sells because somebody is behind it sure. in pushing it through or in in uh, spreading the whole thing yeah. there are certain interest groups in any society yeah 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 so it boils yeah. down to the theory of the power yeah so can yeah. since I mean, since you are the delusion kind of, yeah. yeah you are the full fledged social scientist here we are former scientists turned no, no, no. i am i am also former but i am applied both i am doing actually on a day to day basis yeah so do you have forgotten 40 years ago do you ago. think that something began to change in the nature of the relationship 
between science and state at a more global level after the 1970s. Yeah, I mean, the know, cold fusion experiment in a way. No. Yeah, the cold, yeah, the cold fusion experiment changed the relationship between science and the media. Yeah, no, you made a very yeah. important point. Uh, Amit yeah. also made that point in a different way. Values. There are three, in my opinion, based on my own experience, three things which would uh, be critical in this process. Huh? One is one is the concern concern to futures. Concern for future. Tomorrow and yes, sure. the next generation. Sure. If you don't have the concern about the futures, the way you go about is altogether different. Okay. That is one. Second is in terms of impact. Uh-huh. What you do today, what you pass on, what you call the knowledge, the implications, consequences of that and the larger society is a second variable. A third is which is what I feel, the concern or sensitivity to environment or various elements of environment, whether you call it earth or you call it, you know, whatever, the punch butas. If yeah. you don't have sensitivity to these and their operational system, the way they operate, yeah. Yeah. if you don't have sensitivity to that, then you play with knowledge in a different way. You call it value. You call it discipline. Yeah, but uh, Bhaskar, equally there is there is a kind of knowledge which is entirely conceptual, entirely theoretical. Uh, but not everyone, even in that discipline or that world, knows about that. And if we, for a second, maybe leave the social norms behind and go to that world of purely conceptual uh, knowledge, how does that spread? And how does how so does what that gain ground? Yeah, no, but what would I mean? What would you see as that kind of purely conceptual knowledge? You we touched upon mathematics a while ago, and we were yeah, but that, but over there too, there is there is that is just one position, right? Yeah, one, one position that mathematics is this. The, the realists, those who hold a realist view of mathematics, would not subscribe. I mean, uh, to that view. So it's not that yeah, uh, yeah. that the jury is out on that. You know, sure. after all, one must also remember that for somebody like uh, Immanuel Kant, he was a philosopher of what one called the synthetic a priori. Really. Yeah. Okay, one. Yeah. And um, uh, a lot of work that came out in the philosophy of mathematics in the late 70s was also saying that, you know, I mean, it's time to look at mathematics connections with other... Domain. So, I mean, I don't know whether the conceptual realm uh, is stands anymore. Yeah, no, no, there is a conceptual realm, of course absolutely. But uh, you know, whether it's purely theoretical. So, which brings me back to where we started off when yeah. Amit yeah. about this relationship between theory and practice. Yeah, and in yeah. this relationship between theory and practice, I think uh, if you subscribe to a kind of empiricism, uh-huh. then what happens is. The world comes first. Yeah. Your observations, your attempts to look at patterns in the world that comes, comes first, which comes before yeah. before theory. But if you were to take a more realist view of the world, then uh-huh. in a realist view of the world, you can't start from empiricism, but you start from earlier versions of theories that get modified. They structure how you look at the world. They structure your observations. And then based on that, you build new theories. So you start from theory one 
to the empirical world to theory to to the empirical world that's interesting okay so, so mm-hmm. it's you know I'm, yeah. i i would no I, I would agree with that i mean i think this is a dialectical process, process. right yeah. but if you right. Right. apply that yeah in the context of the political yeah scenario yeah in some countries doesn't really explain the phenomena okay uh, if you really What look at that it, for example 20 years ago we don't have any information available about the voting pattern or electoral process yeah today on your fingertips any bit of information is available yeah the databases are so many yeah so much knowledge is available yeah the public purview accessible to anybody equally yeah and yet what difference that has made in the processes or in the outcomes if you really look at it you don't find any impact except in the academic circles or post facto but there must be an element analysis. of reflexivity there i mean don't but exit poll but, but people don't no accuracy of predictions have huh? i mean sorry but when when you vote for a candidate i don't think you are interested in voting patterns that emerge out of your behavior i mean you are voting on a range of local to national issues yeah but but that's exactly the point i'm making if you the voter so much information is available about the candidates oh but the candidates okay for example or parties are you voting i am really going into the rationality i mean does more information translate into knowing more into rational uh, yeah thinking yeah or behavior integration into thinking in general is right is what the more is not merrier yeah Sure. is the point yeah but there I mean, there are, would also be cases in your life in his life in my life in our professional lives on all of us where sometimes well we have uh, we have information which contradicts what we believe in yeah and yet we do not change what we believe in yeah because there's confirmation bias you just stick to you know it. i mean you don't change what you believe in for a variety of reasons perhaps you have you well maybe there's an element of faith maybe you would say yes this is the evidence but i think there is still something substantially more which is not rejected by this yeah yeah you know so yeah. but there is there is a point he was asking about media and agenda setting yeah the way the media reports this process is more towards what we end up with what i call yeah. the preemptive reporting leading yeah. you on the leading you, you such a way <laughs> that you need to perpetuate certain things yeah 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 that's where the dilemma that's why i said earlier that the knowledge always has double edged there are you think the knowledge has double edged or it is because of the knowledge that the media has learned how to manipulate you remember they used well, to both, be there was a book true. called mm-hmm. what hidden persuader yes hidden persuader very famous book van spakar <laughs> very famous book <laughs> right it was yeah. it's Correct. like from the prehistory of media studies soski common soski has written about it extensively and yeah. this no, yeah. Yeah. so many books are there history. so many books are there yeah. in yeah. us and uh, in india also yeah no because i think over there i mean it it's the media the the we media have, manipulators who have learned the science well enough yes 20 <laughs> last 25 years capital i mean yeah. just the knowledge we have brought it out yeah. basically yeah. on empirical studies yeah 
this very much in the last 20 years but it is not really taken up or picked up because it doesn't suit yeah, sure. Right. Maybe we change tracks it a little bit. Maybe we change tracks a little bit and see how 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 different cultures have interacted with each other. I mean, how does one end up discovering something like China, discovering something like um, Africa, India, for all practical purposes? Obviously, there's Eurocentrism in many ways, and in, in what is known in different disciplines and different parts. And how has that process worked? We have another five minutes to go. Yeah. Uh you know, I mean, uh, I, Edward Said once came to JNU, I don't know, where somewhere I heard him, and he said sure. that he said that you know every year you should you should drop one keyword from your vocabulary, and that is Eurocentrism now. <laughs> and you know, I think now and add least, one Afrocentrism uh, yeah, or something. No, yeah, Indocentrism, Sinocentrism, Sinocentrism. No, I mean, so yeah, so. In a way, I think, you know, I mean, Eurocentrism, at least within academia, it's not that, yeah, in a way it's passe, you know, yeah. I mean, because yeah. serious yeah. real scholars, even in the West, are, are really embarrassed by it. <laughs> and I think this process, this process, in a way, at least in the history of sciences, is healthy. And, and uh, no, the critique of Eurocentrism, the challenge of Eurocentrism really begins to come from... Uh, Historians of science like Joseph Needham, by yeah. some people like Lucien Febvre, yeah. and a number of others who in the 1950s and Ferdinand Brodel sought to restructure after the war, after the Second World War, yeah. how do we write our history? So right. That, right. Right. that began to change. But my fear about this has always been, as you were saying, that we need a more robust theory of knowledge. Uh -huh. And you can't replace Eurocentrism by Islamic centrism or Hindu centrism or Sinocentrism. Yeah. Right. You have to. You have to develop. With, just another. do it without playing the nation game or without yeah, playing yeah, the regional yeah, game in yeah, some way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Well, I mean, I would say to that maybe more realistically, I think ethnocentrism is not easy to get away from. You know, I, I don't have too many ambitions of being non-ethnocentric, yeah. but the kind of universalism of <clears throat> the universalist ethnocentrism. Yeah. Which was Eurocentrism's hallmark, right? Yeah. If we escape yeah. that, I'm satisfied. <laughs> you know, then that, that's how I think most people are. I mean, when, when you think, I have my way of doing things and this is the right way. Yeah. But I don't necessarily say it's the right way for everybody in the world. Yeah. Or all cultures in the world, which is what was yeah. the case. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I think a limited ethnocentrism, I would be quite comfortable with. Yeah. It just makes it more plural. Yeah. 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 yeah but... You know, maybe centrism itself is not such a. Yeah. You know, I mean. I mean, something decentrism, and that's that's the way to go. So, yeah, Dhruv, maybe you know, we spend the last two minutes just discussing and anticipating, and you know, we go around the table very quickly. What the future is likely to be? It's it's it's, and how are we likely? Because there's a process of knowing, and there's a way of knowing, and there's a set of yeah, biases. Yeah, sure. You know what? I think that at least from what I am studying and yeah. the the dis. It's not disciplinary. It's sure, trans sure, sure. Or I don't know what it is. I sure, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, within which I'm embedded and my con uh, concerns come from. I think we all started off as historians and philosophers of science. Yeah, and that was 25, 30 years ago. Yeah, and I think we're now becoming all historians and philosophers of knowledge. Uh huh. Uh -huh. All right. I mean, and I think that movement is a very important one because right. it recognizes the institutional context within which knowledge is produced. Right. And the term science basically carries the baggage of the last 200 years. Yeah. 
Of that's interesting of, that's interesting of the production of the production of knowledge but i'd also go along with a caveat yeah uh, and the caveat would be that uh, would we finally could we finally reduce all knowledges or philosophies of knowledge to some kind of folk epistemology yeah or what is it that yeah. brings that brings these that these, these knowledges together, together. also there, we are not only separate but we are to all together kind of, yeah. you know, because yeah. that is that is the history of of uh, yeah pascal maybe uh, I mean, how how do you think yeah, the I future think there, is yeah. a, there is a contradictory trends uh-huh. see one is that we have the edu- universalizing education yeah more and more institutions coming in yeah in pursuit of research and uh, right. innovation and all that and right. digitalization process yeah going in a big way you know satellites and all that coming in the way of uh, sure, sure, networks sure. networks being there yeah. it gives a lot of hope yeah but on the other hand if you look at it differently from a different end you see a lot of uh, copycatting phenomena catching <laughs> up more lot of blind faith yeah uh, yeah being spread across media across the, even the scientists yeah the great scientists who have done a great experiments in india successfully they are there every day at the garden in front of the god statue yeah you know the kind <laughs> of uh, trends that you see mm. they countervailing right 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 that's so, interesting amit i mean maybe we just round up with you with with a I few mean, words i'll maybe we just make one point each about both of this the one about the meeting point of knowledge is i think one thing we didn't talk about which is the place of the university yeah and uh, i would see you know the university is traditionally has been thought of as a kind of place of knowledge uh-huh. surrounded by ignorance basically yeah <laughs> right? so instead of that can we see it as a location of knowledge in a sea of knowledge right so it, can it right. become the place where in fact this type of thing that drew was talking about can happen right yeah. so a lokvidya holder is not somebody who is has to be educated correct before he or she can articulate what they know right they are accepted as somebody who who knows right and can talk as somebody who knows with somebody else right yeah. agricultural scientist or what have you right so right. can the university really become that place where these knowledges can be in dialogue with each other without assuming hierarchies correct right? correct And that's one that's a point with respect to dhruvs and then you know with with scientists medit you know meditating or doing puja i mean i always think well sure <laughs> no they have no problem about it problem is publicly yeah. doing it so that everybody knows the, about the it <laughs> on the one hand we talk about the scientific temper terrific terrific no that's a good note to end it on hand, i think you demonstrate right the symbolism matters <laughs> I agree. I mean, so this may be another. And the message, yes. the knowledge that you are spreading, is your knowledge has no meaning. Okay. Is the implication, imp- impression that you are spreading at the simultaneously? That's what I is countervailing. No, I think that's a good note to end <laughs> this on. We should leave the scientists in front of the idol doing puja and breaking nariyal or whatever. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to all of you for making it. Thank It's you. Been a, Thank look you. forward Thank to seeing you again. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care.